0: The views on this podcast belong uniquely and solely to the mouths from which they emanate.
1: Again, you have to be careful about making any sort of presumptions about origins of words without evidence.
0: Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Linguist Podcast. Hopefully you've noticed that we haven't been around for a while, and there's, I guess, a little bit of explanation for that. Um, Not to go into great detail, but let's basically say that a small vacation in the national parks with no internet uh, added to three hurricanes, a major freeze, and a flood that wiped out houses and living areas and offices and all of this has just made this past summer uh, extremely difficult. So the good news is uh, we're back home in the saddle, living in Lake Charles, and ready to get going again. We are in this for the long haul. Even though we had to take a small break, we're excited about moving forward couple of things that I'd like to point out, uh, I posted recently on Instagram that we reached the milestone of a thousand downloads, so that's pretty cool. We're a small podcast, we just got started, we're growing. Uh, it's a nice milestone, in, uh, something that we're happy for and proud of, so please continue to tell your friends, post about us on, on Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram, and um, let us know what you think uh, about the podcast and about the interviews. Today, we are finishing up our conversation with Amanda LaFleur about Louisiana French. It's a fun interview. It's funny. We laugh. We talk. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. Remember that on the website weeklylinguist.com, you will be able to find the show notes, and in those show notes, we have all of the words that are mentioned in the podcast, in case you didn't catch one or two of them, and we also mentioned the topics mentioned in the episode, and there's a spot at the bottom where we mention some of the resources. couple of things about that that I want to mention before we get into the episode, though. Number one, go to the website and check out the Facebook link to the interview with Madame Lasty bergeron about the 1918 flu pandemic. And if you understand French, listen to it because it is absolutely fascinating. Highly recommended. Uh, a sad story, but the story is fascinating and the French is beautiful. Next, I want to explain a really quick thing for those that don't speak and understand French about what we're talking about in the very beginning of the episode with être for the passé composé. The passé composé in French is basically a form of of speaking in the past. It's generally episodic, meaning you're talking about things that happened in specific moments, generally speaking. They use the verb avoir, which is in English to have, to create this form in the past. So it's much like saying, I have gone, I have been, I have eaten. And in continental French, they don't distinguish between I have eaten and I ate. Okay, But French is unique in the sense that it has 16 verbs, 16 or 17, depending on how you look at it, but 16 verbs that don't use have or avoir for that auxiliary. They use être, to be. So what we're talking about when we're talking in the beginning of the episode about the difference between avoir and être is a specific way in which Cajun French or Louisiana French can distinguish between the difference in the result of something, and the occurrence of something. So th- they can use both avoir and être. Avoir meaning the occurrence, être to be meaning the state. One of the examples that we talked about was the difference between he fell or he has fallen and he is fallen in, in the sense of that is the state that he's in, he has fallen. And I don't believe that there is a really easy way in standard French to make that distinction because... You cannot use the verb avoir with these 16 verbs. If any of you are French speakers and can send me a suggestion uh, about that, how that could be done, I would love to hear your thoughts. So, next week, Lisa will be returning to the podcast and we'll be talking to linguist from Brazil, Mateus Freitas, about the vowels of Brazilian Portuguese. And it's a fascinating interview. I really think you'll like it. Finally. Before we continue our conversation with Amanda LaFleur, I want to give a quick shout out to our colleague Rebecca Moore for finishing her dissertation. And she is now Dr. Moore. Yay, Rebecca. We love you and we are proud of you. Finally, remember from the previous episode that the third voice that you're going to hear in this episode is my colleague Nathan Went, who went with me to visit Amanda. And he had some interesting questions as well. Nathan studies Louisiana Creole, and I believe he is now teaching at the University of Virginia. So that's who the third voice is when you hear it. Well, not much more to say. We've got several cool episodes coming up for the rest of the year, and we're excited about them. But without any further ado the end of our conversation with Amanda Luffler. Um, Okay. This is the big one that I wanted to ask you about and then a couple of small ones. I don't know whether to say loss or preservation, conservation, because I don't know who innovated, but... Okay. Passé composé without être. Right. Yeah. Um, j'ai passé devant ta
1: porte. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are some very... There are some very useful innovations that have come up. You know, so you think it's an innovation? Well, innovation. I mean, again, we're talking about charged words, so mm-hmm. I, I, I don't okay, want to really, I, I don't care whether okay. you consider yeah. right, it right. negative or positive, mm-hmm. but certainly some things have happened, um, and and you see you, te- you see two things. You do still see, for example, um, people who uh, conjugate um, reflexive verbs with être. So you will hear isasi, um, uh, or isasi, or I'm trying to think of another example uh, that would be more common. But you do, you do hear both of those, okay? But what happens um, when you take verbs like mourir, um, this is where you recognize that French is totally inadequate. Uh, because il est mort means he's dead, and it means he died.
0: In Continental French.
1: In Continental French, right, right. right In Continental French. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean I, I there's a woman who um, Pete Bergeron, who's a local radio announcer, Pete Bergeron recorded Madame Lasty Bergeron, who was a, a relative of his, um, recounting her memories of Le Flu de 1918. No, is that right? 18, yeah, the, the the yeah, the flu pandemic. And it's an amazing, amazing story. She is from La Pointe Noire, which is right outside of Church Point. And La Pointe Noire is sort of interesting because Church Point is a bit of a crossroads. You get a lot, there are a lot of Acadians there, but also there are a lot of Cajins, like my people, you know, of French descent. So you get, you get a mixture. This is where they say both Bouchon. Besson. And jumeau for twin, mm-hmm. which is kind of one of those marker, you know, those are marker words. Mm-hmm. But La Pointe Noire is more Acadian. But she, and that's where she's from. And of course, Bergeron is an Acadian name. I'm, but I digress. The point of the story is that she talks about how the circus came to town and But we all went to the circus and then with just within five days after the circus, people started getting sick and they got sick and they got and it was terrible and they died. And she tells about a man who um, he had, I guess, three children and um, his sister had children I think she was a widow, and she died. And so they took in all of her four children and into his house. Well, then those children got sick, and they started dying. The man got sick. He died. So his wife was left with her children and the children of her sister-in-law. And they keep dying and dying and dying. And within the text, she talks about... <speaking in Spanish> but when she starts talking about the catastrophe that is this, she said... Oh, et puis ça a mouri jusqu'au grand printemps. So that a, is a mouri is that punctuality of what happened, and it kept happening and happening and happening, and it wasn't that she didn't know better. It's that she had she had two words in her repertoire, and she used them both to dis to different stylistic and different semantic effect. So you have these. You have these sorts of um, distinctions that can happen between avoir, with, conjugating with avoir and être. I'll take an, another one is partir. Moi, je suis parti. Je suis parti means uh, that means I've grabbed the doorknob and I'm telling you goodbye. I'm, I, I haven't gone. I didn't go yet. Okay. Il a parti. Il a parti après moi. He left after me. But il est parti. He's it's happening right now he's in the process or he's on his way somewhere and and again whether it's a loss or an innovation i kind of i don't care i'm describing what how the language can actually right. function right. and those are those are subtleties that can happen with certain words that cannot happen in standard french i mean i'm sure that i'm sure that i'm sure that standard or continental french has its ways of making those distinctions but it's they they aren't they aren't ours. On some of these, I've really given this some thought, Amanda, and I don't think so. Like,
0: for instance, um, uh, I don't keep saying this, but you know, this is what I've been looking at lately. Dr. Ansley, il est tombé, mm-hmm. l'état, il a tombé, l'action. And I keep thinking, how would the French say he is falling? He is fallen in a sense, not that he fell, but look, he's at the bottom of the stairs. He is falling.
1: He is fallen, yeah. It's
0: still, yeah. both of them, il est tombé. Mm-hmm. That's right. And there's not a way to make. It. Yeah. I don't. Can't, in my mind, maybe a French speaker can send me a message on this episode and tell me. But I don't think there's a way to make.
1: Well, it you're right. I mean, and and of course, people manage their context is is what happens, right. or or those sorts of things. But um, it you you can see that we, and it, it could be that uh, this was influenced by English. I don't know. I I, I and again, it doesn't well, really matter.
0: Of the Romance languages, French is the only one that does that anyway. Uh, Spanish and Portuguese don't use, you know, a, a different auxiliary for sixteen of their right. verbs. No, but they know. do have,
1: but they do have a preterite. They they do have a like Spanish, for example, has a has a, a plain pre, like right,
0: right. You right,
1: know, right. I died and I have died, or he died and true, he has died.
0: True. Um, no, no, in the negative.
1: That's not. But that's but common in France. As I was well. going to say, yeah, it's not particularly surprising. It's. Yeah.
0: I right. mean, it's not very useful. Fais pas ça. pas ça. I mean, it's
1: not very useful, but yeah. yeah. Um, well, and you know, that same sort of thing um, comes up when you have um, exot, um Well, it's not just eusot. It's not just pr- with pronouns, but it's like, say, mes enfants et tout éduqués. Okay? My children are all educated. Well, uh, what you've got there is a clear plural mes enfants you've even got two added there so whether you say a or son That's doesn't right. doesn't change the meaning at all but uh, but th- th- that same cajun that will say mes enfants et tout éduqué will never use a pronoun in that way you know he would never say ils zé when he means ils sont because at that point it it becomes the 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 pivot point between the singular and the plural it's right. it's it's the the basic minimum necessary to get the message across nice i'm almost done here
0: um an aspiration of of, of an actual continued aspiration in the h of ash the h is used to be in french in standard french continental french it used to be pronounced so that you still write la ash you don't write lache, H A C. Right, right, right. Okay. So is it is that H?
1: It's pronounced. It, it,
0: that it's still pronounced right, in Louisiana. Right,
1: lahash, Puente, la lahash. It's still even point yeah, lahash or la uh, en haut. uh Right, right. That's chose, Absolutely. But it would be.
0: Je vais passer la nuit uh, dans l'hôtel.
1: Right. Okay. Right. So we still we still recognize that they're different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love this one. Yeah.
1: do I need to cut this out? <laughs> well, I'm not. Uh, well, I, it's
0: uh, that a legitimate way of saying I'm very hungry, or is this is that just a playful way of saying I'm very hungry? I,
1: I have not ever heard it before, but it doesn't. Okay. It does not surprise me or bother me, and it and it's it's also sort of that's very it's very Creole too, in the sense of we use repetition to you know like so I, hear the,
2: I hear the duplicate a lot, so Jefa to me makes much more is more I hear that. I can hear that coming from somebody that I've spoken with, fan, whereas fan. I have a harder time hearing "j'ai fan fan fan" with three, or to say oh, "il est gros gros." That's a that's a big guy, right? Um, or something like that. But it's why not? Why not do three? I, right. I don't see. No well,
1: reason I, why I, I will could. I will tell you, like with my children, our our term of endearment before we went to bed was always "stem gros gros gros," comme un éléphant was how we would say <laughs> "stem gros gros gros," and it's it, I mean the expression is "stem gros." I love you very much. But with us, it was always, it, it always involved some simile, you know, at the end of it. And so, it, and, it, and it's funny now that you say that, because it was never stem gro-gro, it was stem gro-gro-gro come elephant. And the next person had to say, well, moi stem gro-gro-gro common balan, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> that was the, um, just the game that we played.
0: Nice. Let's see. It was, oh yeah, I just wanted to run down a couple of words. Okay. Shall we?
1: For
0: raccoon. Uh huh. I mean, I'm I, I'm looking at. I'm thinking. Hot laveur you know, and I see. Shall we? Wawaron.
1: Wawaron is old. Uh, you you hear it in Canada. It's, really? Yeah. It's 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 a for native, our listeners.
0: This is the word for frog, which yeah. in French would in continental French would be grenouille.
1: It's it's right? a, it's yes. it's a it's, a, it's oh, a, so it's that frog that goes whoa whoa whoa. <laughs> exactly. It's an it's <laughs> an, an it form. Absolutely. I, I think you're right. That's very good. Oh, so that's what it
2: is. Shall it's however, is Choctaw?
0: Okay, so we're talking about words that uh, were were borrowed for use of necessity. So these are words. In, okay, well, I remember in the grocery store in Lim, Limoges, it was in Limoges, stumbling upon a, in the produce section, an area where they were selling okra. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I didn't know the word for okra. But I saw this okra, and I'm actually I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised they were selling it in France. So I was gonna buy me a bunch of okra and fry it up. And mm-hmm. I went to see how much it was, and it said gumbo. Mm-hmm. And this light went ding in my head <laughs> because you know, you know what they'll tell you. You know, there's a, a good a good Cajun will tell you there's two things that you have to know about gumbo. Number one, don't ever put tomatoes in it, mm-hmm. right? And number two, if there's no okra, it's not gumbo.
1: And this, why well, not this Cajun doesn't tell oh, you? Oh, really? That.
2: Okay. Ah. Well, well, this, said, this, said, this, I've this met many Plenty of people that
1: contradict the tomato rule too. Oh yeah, but especially if okay, you have been that hanging one breaks around my on...
2: heart. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it. Then I realized
0: this is the we we've taken this soup that I guess was initially made with okra. And it was called gumbo soup or something to this effect so that the word for okra becomes used for the soup yeah. that we make.
1: Well, it's and I uh, believe me that I would never presume the, the work of etymologists is just so precise and so uh, fascinating. I have great esteem for them and I, I don't presume. But there, there's 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 sort of a convergence of of things that are going on there because gumbo of course is a, uh, a an african word, word. It's, it's a, a wild off
0: word for okra
1: right yeah, uh, but then you also have i i believe it's a Bantu word, which is guess what fevi so when and and you know what we call okra at my house Gombofevi. fevi, so we have yeah nice um, but I think there is also if I'm not mistaken a i want to say a Caribbean word, and I don't know what its origins are that it's like um go it and it's the name of a Soup. It's not, and it doesn't. I'm. I'm not sure that necessarily has okra in it, but there. You know, it. It's tricky. Uh, you, you. 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 Again, you have to be careful about making any sort of presumptions about origins of of words right. without uh without evidence. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough.
0: Yeah. It just. It just seemed to fit so well in my head, though. <laughs>
1: oh well, well, and, and, and and certainly, and let me tell you, people are um, <clears throat> it place. You know, when you. People will argue about which what is one or the other because it it can, it can be very very tightly regional. I'll, I'll give you another example, like um, poulet ruti. Poulet ruti.
0: Roasted chicken.
1: Ah, poulet is fried chicken.
0: Now, okay, not- is that new to you too? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, poulet tea, but again, this is it's a it's a regional thing. If you go to Avoyles, they will understand poulet ruti to be roasted chicken, but in other areas, poulet ruti is fried chicken, and um, now, and I will give you some folk etymology. Again, this is, I, I have not done the research, but what I can tell you about the history of, of, of cooking in southwest Louisiana is that people basically, um, there were no ovens. You cook things, you cooked it over a fire. You cooked it in a, in a little, um, a, little a, a four was actually the, the little three-legged uh, black pot with the top that was, you know, over mm-hmm. the fire. But so ruti would have been, you know, would have been browning it in a still in a pot, and then it also came to mean to fry, like southern fried chicken, which surprised me. Um, but there are people who use poulet ruti to mean fried chicken. Um, That's cool. But but the idea is that roasting, uh, you know, as, as we know it, as le- let me just stick a chicken in the oven was not a, a common thing, and most. Traditional Cajun dishes are, are, and and traditional Creole dishes are cooked on top of the stove. It, it's interesting to me that there's a there's a lady. I say a lady. She's a young lady. She's younger than I am. She's in her uh, in her fifties. Who takes care of my mother? She she's she's Creole from the, from from Villeplatt, and she um, she she's known my mother for years and years and years, but she was a she was her housekeeper for a long, long time. And now that my mother needs care cut twenty four hours a day, she's also there on Saturday. And I always try to go on Saturday to visit my mother because Laura's gonna be there to cook. And Laura is just she's just this incredible cook, but she cooks everything on top of the stove. And in fact, we had to show her how to bake a chicken. She had never baked a chicken before she had so so when we said so my mom was like just throw that well I well I pull the chicken out and the chicken now this these are things that you know culturally you know I pull the chicken out and it's laying on its breast right the back of the chicken is at the top well anybody who bakes a chicken you always at the back but Laura I mean she just had no cultural reference anytime she cooks she cooks it on top of the stove and man there is Good. there is no gravy to be had like Laura's gravy. She's in. I've taught. She's taught me how to cook mustard greens. She's taught me how to cook any number of things. But this is a young woman. This is not somebody who didn't grow up with a who grew up without an oven. You right. know, she's she's. Right. Good point. Yeah. But these are these were the traditions that she learned from her mother, who learned from her mother. Right. Um, nice. So you know, sometimes you look around and you can kind of make some. I guess educated guesses mm-hmm. about certain things.
0: Mm-hmm. By the way, Shoe Peak.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Is that the fish that my grandpa in the north of Louisiana called a grinner?
1: Uh, I forgot what the, I'd have to look it up in the dictionary. My cousin. It's
0: a bowfin. Bowfin. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Thank you. Bowfin, The primitive sacale, fish. Uh, which my
0: daddy called a white perch and some people call crappie, right? It's supposed to be called a crappie, but it, it yeah. it's cycle. And those I think I've exhausted yeah, sacale, my list of I, Cajun I, words. I, so, I believe so. it's
2: what patasa? I
1: believe a sakale is a type of a, a patasa, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Yeah. Patasa
2: is sort of for yeah. all panfish. Um, yeah, sunfish. Sun sakale is definitely for for white crappie, um, possibly black crappie too. Just a, it's a meteor panfish. Yeah. But a uh, patasa is for any any like any of those bluegill, green sunfish, red ear, warm mouth, all that kind of stuff. Um, wow, so you know literally-
1: your fish. I'm impressed yeah. again. Are you a fisherman, Dave?
0: Amanda, closing up. What have we missed? Anything that's really important as far as the grammar goes in, in, in Louisiana French?
1: Uh, I think we've covered a lot of territory. Uh was fun. Sort of in a kind of a, you know, um, drop biscuit kind of way. But I liked it. It was fun. I, I, no, it,
0: it, I. I <laughs> question for you. You feel like if I was dropped in the middle of a home. Uh, I, I was I was COVID quarantined with a room of full of Cajun speakers. Uh-huh. How long do you think it would take somebody like me who has never really looked into it that much to accustomate to where I'm completely? Oh, not long. No, no time at all. huh?
1: No time a at all. A day or two. No. If, if, if you're fluent in French, I think you um, it, it comes very quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. because well. The there would be a learning curve, though. that would be a learning curve, but you also, you're a language teacher, so you already have okay. the advantage okay, of being an observer of those things. It's, right. it's sort of in your nature to, to look for that kind of stuff. You know, I'm sure if you've traveled, you've, you know, um, you, you notice it when you go to Quebec, you notice it when you go to Acadie, or when you go to the south of France, or look, Algeria, or wherever. I
0: had a job one time where I used to have to get on the phone with Canadians, and I would eventually just tell them to email me, because I could not understand what they were saying. I don't know, maybe it was the particular people that I was working yeah. with. But I could not. really quick. Yeah, I saw in those master's thesis. E I N, eh. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's just. Is, is it's... that something
0: y'all decided not to do? Did you give any thought to that?
1: Well, it, I mean, we we didn't feel that it was necessary. Again, I mean, U N in France is pronounced eh. Mm-hmm. So why reinvent the wheel is kind of a thing. The, I, I tell you, the, I mean, there is an argument for it though because and and this is where this is where we um and, and I've been thinking about it a lot because of the this macot book but Barry and I will, will we get together every once in a while and our our thoughts about how to write louisiana french have evolved over the years and we I think and and he and I both are sort of heading in the same direction maybe at different paces but we both felt it early on that the most important thing was to show how much our French was French. So we did, we kind of went out of our way to spell things the way that they're spelled in standard French to show that connection, even though we may, you know, if I say, um, I mean, if I say gosh, as opposed to gosh, why should I spell it some other way? You know, um, you know, and this is the same thing I tell my students, you know, like if I say kick if I don't, or if I say kick and you say walk, Neither one of us is pronouncing the L, but it's there. I'm gonna keep it there because it's because that's the word, you know. Um, however, there there start to be certain words um that become sort of emblematic of the language. And that and that was kind of where we were with that decision about subject pronouns, like how to represent il and el or il and al, um and and Barry kind of jumped it and decided you know he was going to start writing just i in in front of consonants and then the i l in front of um vowels because the other thing too is there's a sort of a hypercorrection thing you know if you um if you i can tell my students well, it's like like cajun you know like writing cajun right we wanted it to we were tired of seeing this cajun it's it it leads to mispronunciation so we kind of came up with the c a d i e n from acadien but we're going to pronounce it acad you know pronounce it cajun well that was okay for some people but then what happens is you have people who would normally say cajun then they see that and then they're saying cadien because they're they're correcting themselves it's like the trahons that become trahons they insist on pronouncing the n because they think somehow all their ancestors all those years right. didn't know any better you know right. um so i guess all that to say that you will see in in some writing choices now among some authors um an attempt to to better represent louisiana Pronunciation, and so there are some people who write e i n n, eh, and then e i n e n, and and I and I see why it could be useful because obviously if you stay if you stay with the standard, then you have n, eh, and then you have u n e, which of course people pronounce une, which we don't do, and so in that way eh and and to me it's too far. I, I guess because I grew up on standard French. Uh, I mean, or I, or I was educated in standard French first. Um, I, I I'm, I'm just not quite there yet. Right. But but I don't. I also, by the same token, I don't have a problem with other people being there. Right. And and it's and it's just not a, a hard stretch to hand that to students and say, look, when you see e i n and e i n e, it's it's the same thing as un and ün. That's just not real. Well, granted, I mean, it was obvious to
0: me what it meant. Right. You know, so it wasn't any lack of understanding. Right. Promise a final question. Mm -hmm. I mentioned to you earlier that there was this, I'm not going to mention the place, but there was this place in Louisiana that I was visiting and that I had an extreme amount of difficulty understanding what they were saying. And you said there was a possibility that I was getting into the area where the J's are pronounced like H's. Mm -hmm. And actually, Dr. Ansley brought this up as well, this question of the J's pronounced as H's. I didn't know that that was a thing. (laughs) But so basically
1: you have... Certain dialects of Louisiana French
0: that pronounce the je as huh.
1: right as you do in bay sainte marie in nova scotia it's it's a it's a it's a thing mm-hmm. and actually there's an area uh, is it school is Hanisco. it, yeah, is it La Brousse, uh, La <laughs> in, it's not um, it's not unique to our area or even to Nova scotia. I think there is an area of France where Saint-Ange. is it saint ange mm-hmm. okay
0: well, well saint ange is one of the
2: origins of the like Saint-Angers, I think they, you see written uh, the digraph J-H in a lot of cases to represent that there's that intermediate ah, pronunciation, if okay. I'm not mistaken.
1: Okay. That's that's very interesting. So yeah. I
2: think even the word Saint-Angers, it becomes Saint-Angers, possibly. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I'm, okay. pretty, I'm pretty sure that that's right.
1: Yeah. That is cool. That is cool to see these little no, vestiges I, I, of...
2: I remember... That was, that was
0: the, the three or four origins of the people that came originally to Canada and down.
2: One of them mm-hmm. was Santosh. So that's
1: fascinating. Yeah, it, it all, it kind of makes sense. I mean,
2: yeah. you, you promised you'd give it your last question. I made no such promise. Okay, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> not, uh, she's gotten
1: comfortable over there. Yeah, right? oh yeah, I'm gonna.
2: So I was, um, I was doing interviews in Ville Platte a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And um, there were a group of men I was talking with who gave me this sort of shibboleth um, yeah. that – they said was commonly used to determine whether someone was from north of I-10 or south of I-10 which, by their own definition they called that the distinction between Creoles and Cajuns, but let's not get into that The um, do, do you know what the shibboleth is before I get into it? No, in? no. So the, the phrase in English was, climb the fence and call to your dad and tell him the coffee pot's ready. So they said that the Ville plat way to say this I think I'm getting this right, was "Grand la barrière e cria preto papa que la and they said that down the bayou it would be griche la barrière Urla preto popa que la this
1: this sounds <laughs> I love it. this is um
2: <laughs> you never heard that no okay.
1: i never heard it <laughs>
2: Man, you've made her laugh several times today.
1: This yeah, is- <laughs> that's um, you know. There's the Evangeline Parish. There's a there's a big um, the compte for of of Evangeline. Of course, Mamou is 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 well known for it. Uh, but I think it's a, it it sounds like like yo yot. Yeah, you got me there, Nathan. I, I'm afraid I, I I cannot verify that is true or not. I won't even try. Okay. All right.
2: <laughs> so, I to- well, can I just say, so the, 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 Ville Platte version I gave, so that had those, the words, grampier for to climb. Right. Crier um, après for to, to yell at or, or, or call to, um, and then Greg for, for coffee pot. Right. How do, as far as lexemes from sort of your area, do those sound appropriate?
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, but, Urle uh, surprised me. Is that is that common? That, uh, that's supposed to be the, the that's
2: supposed to be the down the Bayou version. Now, granted, this is coming from a man from Ville Platte. So well, exactly,
1: yeah. So, that, but I was just wondering in your experience because I know no, you've spent I, some I actually
2: time. I have I've done very little um, work in out those there. communities. Okay, most of my work has been out west. Yeah, right. Um, a little bit down on Bayou Teche, but then everything's everything's been wet – Well, with very few exceptions, everything's been west of the Chafalla. Okay.
1: Okay, so Gramp-la-Barriere, Well, grandpi, but I don't think grandpi is particularly it seems I, pretty common to yeah, me.
2: that's I that's what I would say would be the st- standard to the extent there is yeah. a standard in Louisiana.
1: And la Gregg would not. I, I'm surprised too. That one I would I thought was pretty much uh, common. Uh, yeah, throughout South Louisiana. But
2: when I think what they told me was that.
1: And what was the word that they used for uh, that they said they used uh
2: the down the bayou word for coffee pot was supposed to be yo yot. Oh which yo-yo. for them they said is uh a um a term for a lady's private parts. So that's sort of this this class of words that are supposed to be these these well, you things see- like um like Cowen or uh, right. Galette or something like well, see, that. but
1: that that's interesting because that, that is the obvious true uh well, true well, test yeah. is the uh <laughs> is the um is Cowen, you know, oh, that's the um the one that and and I mean I I I, I don't think it's an apocryphal story at all. Uh Richard Guidry told the story. He his um his roommate from um uh, was it by Lafourche or where was it from but but it was that same sort of thing it was that you know he was he was cooking uh and sauce piquant de caen and you know the, <laughs> the other guy walks in and goes, "What is that and he tells him and he just is, you know yeah, yeah. uh no, those are yeah it's it sounds like it might have been an outgrowth of that sort of notion that yeah these words uh
0: I, I wanna, I well, I wanna, for the for the listeners, for the listeners uh, um Taiwan is a snapping turtle. Right? I mean, in in the dialects that don't use it in a different way, Kawan is a right
1: Kawan, uh, ca-
0: ca- yeah. cowan.
1: yeah. Cahuana. The N is pronounced, yeah. yeah. Jongle, to cry? Jongler, to, to think. To think? Yeah, to reflect, to think. because oh.
0: Okay. I know, I, I guess I've been reading that one wrong because I thought it, in context, when I saw it, I thought it meant to cry. Yeah. But, okay. No, braille, cool. to cry, or pleurer. Pleurer as in. Very nice. Amanda, thank you. Ah, hey, I think now, question. though, we've got apparently a couple of projects set up. <laughs> so we've got work to do. Yeah. Cool. And, and I, maybe I've got some students that would want to do it. Sure. So we'll see about oh, it. Oh, by yeah. all
1: means, I, I would be delighted. Yep.
0: Thank you again. Oh. Thank you again. In closing, remember to check out the show notes at weeklylinguist.com There you will find further information about this episode Like more information about the guest, a selected bibliography and any links mentioned in this episode As the saying goes, if you enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend If you didn't, tell us You can tell a friend by rating us 5 stars on iTunes And by writing a glowing endorsement in the reviews don't forget to subscribe when you're done and follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Weekly Linguist.
2: For any feedback, positive or cri- critical, <laughs> write to us at podcast at Tell us what you think,
0: what we can do better, or even suggest a topic, ah, a topic for an upcoming episode. <music>